um, the clearer the intention or the goal, the easier it is to manifest. Yeah. That was Dr. Nikki Starr, a really fun, really insightful woman and a transformative energy healer. You can tell how connected Nikki is, and I think you'll really appreciate this interview. She's a very unique individual who has a medical degree from New York University School of Medicine, and she works daily with people all over the world now, energy healing, guiding spirituality. She is she's just a lot of fun. You're, you're really going to enjoy this. So without further ado, let's get to becoming legendary with Dr. Nikki Starr. Maximize every opportunity so that you can become you legendary. Become legendary. What adjustments can you make right now to make yourself one Your percent better? Your only goal is to be the best version of you. <sighs> Dr. Nikki Starr, thank you so much for coming on Becoming Legendary. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Thank you for having me. So good. Really excited to talk with you. I, I start this way for every podcast, so I just want to know what your typical day in your life looks like. Hmm. Well, I wake up and I like to lay in bed a bit. I do some breathing. I do 11 minutes of deep belly breathing in bed to get myself energized and awake. And then I'm often inspired in the space of writing. So I'll often do my Instagram post early in the morning. And then after that, I more or less have enough energy and I'm revving to go. I like to do oil pulling with coconut water, which means I put a spoonful of coconut oil in my mouth and I swish it around for 20 minutes, spit that out, brush my teeth. Then I like to drink celery juice. Um, I drink about a cup of that in the morning, a half hour before I eat anything. And then I have a superfood smoothie. And then I kind of usually start my day in terms of like my to-do list starts like filling me, like overflowing. And then I can't help but to start my work for the day. And um, that could be many things depending on what the day is, but oftentimes some kind of computer work is happening or cl online client sessions. And then I usually like to meditate midday and, um, and exercise and all of that. And um, yeah, and then I teach in the evenings um, a few days a week in Los Angeles. And I like to go for hikes and nature. And then when I'm not doing that, I'm either guiding a workshop or seeing a client or posting on social media. Yeah, so all around, just you're amazing. <laughs> oh, <thanks. laughs> so well, I want to dedicated and disciplined to yeah. my self care. Yeah, let's just do that. Dedicated and disciplined to self care. It it leads me to let's just I want to go to this, and then I'm going to come back to how you start your day because I really want to talk about the ten the eleven minutes of breathing uh, before getting out of bed. So don't let me forget that. Okay. But dedicated to self care. What are you doing? as an individual personally to spur your own self growth right now? So I have my own personal self development program that I do every six months. I update it. So I practice what I preach in the sense of like, I have mentors myself that I go over my goals with, like, this is what I want to work on. Like la the last six months, like for example, one thing I worked on was adaptability 
because with this discipline, I'm like, I'm not eating that. It's not organic or like creating this, like this stress in situations when it's like, I really want to be a bringer of love. And so sometimes that means being relaxed in my discipline when I'm with others and just making the best choice possible. So I set goals for myself every six months, every month as well. So I'm definitely goal oriented. And with that, like meditating and really as a facilitator, it's really important that I'm relaxed and centered. And so that's kind of where the breathing comes in. That's where the nature time comes in. And so, yeah, I'm really, I'm like on an ultra fast train. Like, you know, I kind of just woke up in 2013 and my life has like completely turned around and, you know, I'm dedicated to reaching millions of people. And so with that, that requires work on my end. Yeah. So when you're, when you are setting your goals on a, on a monthly and a six month, that that's, those are the two timeframes you use? Usually. Yes. Mm -hmm. do you when I work a... with people, I do three months because okay. it's six months. You know, I usually work with people in three month segments, but yeah, for myself. Do mm -hmm. you have a specific pattern or tool you use in your own goal setting? I usually write it down. Okay. You know, I don't use any kind of app or anything, but I generally tend to write things down, make it really clear. Um, the clearer the intention or the goal, the easier it is to manifest. Yeah. And so even with the numbers and dates and um, using empowering language or how I want to feel and then doing visualization meditations to really get into that energy as well. And I also write them in the form as if it's already happened. Mm. Not like I want. Yeah. But I like that. It's embodied. Like it's happened. I like that a lot. The specifics component is, is really important. And I notice personally, and I think kind of as a culture, it's almost like we're scared to put specifics to future goals. Because then there's this, there's the opportunity for failure. And if we're vague enough, then we can like kind of slip them in. How did you start to really self identify with the necessity to provide those specifics? So I think it's what you shared. And some people are actually scared of commitment. Yeah. Of like when it's really time to choose something, how do I choose? Like if you know you're going to get it, yeah. sometimes that's even harder to be like, okay, so then what do I want? Yeah. So that was where my era was actually not so much about failure, but rather like there's so many options. How can I pick just one of them? And so what I started to realize was it was kind of experimenting. And I first was doing very general things. And, you know, actually there's one, there's always this funny one that I like to share about. I remember one goal like back in 2014 was something like I want to reach millions of people for the awakening of humankind where I can just be myself and like, was very vague, but then I got, then I was on a reality show called Utopia on Fox. Yeah. And it was literally like, just be yourself. <laughs> Here's millions of people <laughs> and thousands of viewers and like, you can affect change. And I still get mail and comments and messages from people who found me first on Utopia and they were like, you know, I started yoga and meditating and I eat kale and quinoa now and I feel great and, and so it was amazing that the universe will conspire to bring you what you want. But if you're not specific, you're up for anything. <laughs> and so I will say that that experience was probably one of the worst experiences of my life in the sense of like, it was really challenging. Yeah. Um, nonetheless, that goal was achieved. <laughs> yeah. Dude, the challenge. So 
I'm starting to I'm starting to think of these things that we think of as challenges as just things we're not quite ready for yet, which means when they happen, we have the opportunity to either freak out and panic or quickly adapt and like incrementally grow in a way that we wouldn't have were we not presented with this thing that we weren't quite ready for yet. So can you look back now and say, even though that might have been one of the worst things that's happened to me, it, it created this huge personal growth that this like evolutionary leap forward that you might not have made otherwise? Totally. So what I didn't know was that experience on Utopia it was one, a social experiment to create a new society. And two, it was pretty much like community living. It was like 15 of us on living in the same structure on the same property. We couldn't even leave, you know? Yeah. So, and what I didn't know is I kind of have always been, even though I grew up in New York city, I come from like a regular kind of family of like a mom and a dad. And, you know, my grandmother lived with us, but more or less this nuclear, this kind of family that's traditional. Yeah. But I had always, when I woke up spiritually, I kind of was like, I'm going to be connected to a community. Like I always knew that, even though I never had experience in community. So that experience on Utopia prepared me for when I found the community that I'm now connected to and a part of. And living in that community was like cake mm. compared to Utopia. And so I would get into like, these food fights, because for me, like eating organic and healthy and was really important and like dairy free and gluten free, because I'm pretty sensitive with my digestion. So then when I got to this community, even though sometimes it wasn't, it was mainly all organic. And then you have someone thinking about, you know, like, oh, they write your name on a plate. And they're like, this is for you. There's no gluten, there's no dairy. It was like, oh, wow, someone cares about me. Whereas like there, it was like, we were like in survival mode. It was like a battle. Yeah. So I had this training for when I actually went into community. Did it change your thoughts around communal living positively or negatively or neutral? Well, when I was in Utopia, I realized it's really important that every people can be different because diversity is a richness, but having the same goals and working towards a, the similar dream is really important mm. when you're living with people yeah. because it can just be co-housing. But if you really want to create something together and even create like a family, yeah, then it's really important to have a shared dream. So I just realized, Oh, okay. That was a challenging experience because we weren't all aligned in our values mm -hmm. or what we wanted to create or do in the world. And that's why they casted us, right? Because we were all so Pretty different. Sure. Um, and then kind of switching over. It doesn't mean that in like the community that I'm now connected to that people aren't different and they have different um, preferences, but ultimately we all want to support the awakening of humankind and the saving of the planet and be a model for the future of humanity. And that's creating a more sustainable way of life. Yeah, which is, which is really, really a rad and idealistic worldview. I want to know, I want to know, I want to know a lot of things about communal living. Communal living is something that's really interesting to me. <laughs> and I didn't think we would, we didn't think we'd head down this direction at all. I didn't think so either, actually. <laughs> oh, we also have to talk about the breathing. Yes. Okay. We're getting back to breathing. The other, but before, before we even get into that, I want to know what drew, what drew you to that idea of communal living? It just came into my awareness. Okay. Like that's how most of it. So people are like, do you have a teacher? Or like, did you read books? And I'm like, no, 
I just like got a download like of everything on my path. Like I'm an intuitive teacher and guide. Like I don't really plan my classes. I can I maybe know the concept that I'll share about, but everything just comes in the moment. And so I remember like there were these pivotal moments of when I kind of these ideas came and it was actually when I was goal setting. It's like when I kind of opened up to listen of like, what am I going to create? What am I going to do? Like we can do anything we want. That's why we're here. Like we're here to create this reality. Then these ideas would come in. Like, I don't know where they came from, right? Did they come from source consciousness? Where did they come from? You know, this is kind of when we talk about connecting, when we meditate, it's like we connect to this energy of universal consciousness. So in that space, like I never had any kind of experience with community. I have no idea why it came in. I thought it was actually connected to, because I know that when I have children, I don't want them to go to the regular schools because that kind of creates a worker bee. And we want to really support children to be inspired and to be creators and to be innovative. And regular school kind of kills that, like public schooling. So I always thought like, oh, I want to live in a community or at least be connected to one when I have kids so they can go to an alternative school. That's more based in nature. Okay. Okay. I think it, I thought it came from that, but then now I'm like, wow, I actually really like it. It's like fun. And especially when I look around a table and it's like, everyone is so different and we're all there of all different ages, backgrounds, places we come from, but we have a shared dream. And uh, I feel like it's school for spirituality. For sure. You learn so much compassion and you learn to like, use different logics like that person's not wrong they just have a different logic so you start to really develop a deep sense of understanding and compassion and that the, the idea of the, of the community that you're referencing is really to encourage global human awareness fair yeah beginning with ourselves how do we how do we just on an individual daily basis encourage people to become more aware when we're interacting with them so one experience that I guide is called Adventures in Intimacy, and it's all about presence and relationships, actually. So I've had a really interesting time where I've had, how do you, like, basically people come and they don't know what to expect. And I'm like, okay, this is allow you to go deeper into human connection. And what you do is you just begin to relate. And if you can gaze in someone's eyes and see, like, is it easy for you? Is it hard for you? When you isolate and live by yourself, sometimes it's hard to be around other people or, like, things annoy you about other people. And so your tolerance, your threshold for things is a lot lower. But when you're constantly with people, not just for work or whatever, but just in your natural state of being, this is when you can really see how you're showing up because you can't be enlightened all by yourself in a cave. It's really the test of your enlightenment or how spiritual you are. It's how loving and compassionate you are in the face of true adversary or differences or disagreements and whether you see them as learning opportunities or fights, right? Yeah. yeah. So. That I really, I really found exactly what you described there when, when, when practicing that, that one-on-one -on -one eye gazing, the, the real humanality of of people is is really exposed to you in a way that is hard to connect with it's hard to feel until you've been that intimate in in a setting with a stranger i, I really i really appreciate that practice and i think that's something that everyone should take the opportunity to do 
Yeah. And that's why having, I love that workshop because having a safe setting where it's like, this is what we're going to do. Yeah. Because most people are shy or they just think like, this is weird. Why am I going to go and ask them if I can look into their eyes? But yeah. for me, like I rather look in someone's eyes than talk any day because for me, like that's the real communication. Yeah. So that, I, that idea of, of weird, right? I'm trying to figure out how we can, how we can get people beyond that idea. Because I think if we, if we were able to peel back that first layer of the onion, we all have really similar desires, right? Like we all want to be loved. We all want to be supported. We all want to feel like we're part of the community and we're contributing. And those things are all like really core desires that are just, just below this first layer. But that first layer is tough. And when we get into those moments where we might get exposed as vulnerable or authentic, it's easy to, to use the barrier of this feels weird so that we don't sink just one layer deep. What do you use as a tool to get people to get beyond that first layer? I call it out and I say, okay. this might be weird for you. Yeah. And that alone makes people feel like, oh, yeah, it's true. It's weird. Okay, fine, but I'm doing it. And then that, like just calling it out dissolves the tension. Do you call it out and connect it back to the desire? Um, not necessarily. I, I usually do it in a joking way. I'm like, you may be wondering like, what am I doing here? Like gazing into someone's eyes. I didn't sign up for this or this is weird or this might be super comfortable for you. And like, you know, just kind of like calling it all out. Um, but generally the way I guide it is there'll be three rounds. And so the first round is kind of like just coming into it and observing how you're showing up and if it's weird or if it's comfortable and just allowing yourself to be present and then the second round, I generally talked about like the humanity essence of like what you said in the sense, like we all have our challenges, we all have our battles and we all have our triumphs. And so seeing everyone like a mirror and then that also tends to like relax people. And then the last part is about usually I share about uh, well, and then, of course, through it all, it's showing like how everyone brings up something different. Like some people, it's so like normal. It's like, wow, we know each other. And other people, it's like, oh, this is so hard. And just seeing that too. And, and being like an observer without judging anything. And then the last one, I'm often calling upon them to notice the uniqueness of the person's being and the wisdom in their eyes and how, you know, all the wisdom they've accumulated from this life, that they're a teacher et cetera, et cetera. And kind of going through those phases by the end, people are like smiling, people cry, they laugh. And the whole room is more connected yeah. after that. Yeah. Yeah. Those little moments of connection really do, really do bring a room together in an impactful way, a community together. Yeah, it is. Exactly. And I'm actually about to go guide a retreat in Mexico in our opening ceremony for New Year's. Like I will have eye gazing. And it's an 80 person retreat. And oh, so awesome. <laughs> to really create community in that space. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Let's go. Let's go all the way back. When we start out the day, your belly breathing practice, is it, is it, um, a mirror image every day? Is it identical every day? Does it kind of shift depending on how you feel? It's identical. So I do a kind of healing modality called prana therapy and it's the kind of breath that's connected to this energy work. And essentially, it's a rhythmic breathing where the, you count and you make sure that your inhales and your exhales are equal and you hold at the top and the bottom. And so this idea that 
you are not doing something that's involuntary, but rather voluntary. So you're breaking automatism, you're breaking habits. And with that, on the exhale, really thinking about releasing and letting go of any stress, really unhinging the jaw as well. And really like yeah. exhaling with my mouth really big and wide and, you know, not caring what it looks like. Yeah. And then on the inhale, really feeling the expansion and like I'm stretching from the inside out. And this practice alone, I feel, gives people that extra, in Italian, they like to say it gives you an extra lung, but it gives you this extra capacity to be more centered. Like when something comes and it's challenging, you don't realize it, but the breath can really be a source of solace during that time and something you fall into and just you're you're maybe moving at a slower pace that allows you to see it differently. Yeah. Shifting, shifting the way we're breathing might be the easiest thing we can do to impact ourselves on a continual basis for sure. I, I really, that box breathing to kind of start the day is a very interesting, it's a very interesting concept. I, I want to explore that. So I'm excited. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And it's easy too. It's like, when you wake up and you qu don't quite have the energy to get out of bed yet and you're laying there, yeah. you can be intentional about it. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and I would say don't cross your arms or your legs mm. just so that energy can flow because when you cross, it blocks energy. So just allow your arms to be laying. You can lay in Shavasana. You can lay with your palms face down if you want more of a grounding experience and, and not crossing the legs, like allowing the legs to be apart. Yeah, that makes that makes a ton of sense. Now, you said something that I found interesting. After you're done breathing, you have kind of this uptick in creative juices. or the, the, the inspiration for writing is there. And then you go to Instagram. Do you use Instagram as a kind of a, another outlet for a, a blog-like resource? Yes. Okay. I've actually, I do write a regular blog. Basically, right. every time I send out a newsletter, I will send out a blog post as well. Um, and, and my blog posts range from like experiences I have to rituals I share to some advice or how to or lists or whatever, like all different. Um, and my, my Instagram is I alternate between like a photo of me doing something or in nature because that's always where I get a lot of inspiration and a quote. And so it acts as a form of like advice. So oftentimes it's synchronic too. Like you kind of come to the page. And so many people are like, oh, my God, this is what I need to hear today. You know, so I same thing. It's like just tapping into collective consciousness and just kind of sharing what needs to be shared for that day. Yeah. Um, I post more or less every day. Sometimes I take some breaks for like a day or two. Yeah. But I'm pretty, you know, I've, I've built a following and I did that because I was consistent and disciplined. And no matter how I was feeling, I showed up and I still posted authentically. Yeah. Um. A link to Nikki's Instagram will be in the show notes. So make sure to check that out for sure. Yeah. And it's Dr. Nikki Starr, just in case you yeah, don't check, check that out. out. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, one of the, one of the interesting things. That's a great, that's a great lead into this. So you started out in a traditional Western medical system. Yes. As a, as an MD. Yes. And it, from the, from the, at least the impetus of this conversation, the start of this conversation, it feels like you've shifted significantly towards Eastern. Totally. Like even I had menstrual cramps the other day and someone was like, Oh, did you take ibuprofen? I'm like, I'm not taking that. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let's just talk about like complete shift. Like okay. 
There is like no, I mean, don't get me wrong. If you have a disease very manifested or you break your leg and your bone is sticking out, like if you have your emergency situations, Western medicine is wonderful for that. But in the day to day, like pain, chronic stuff, tensions, tightness, body aches, anything that's, you know, when your nutrition levels are off, et cetera, et cetera. For me, I feel it's all in lifestyle. Yeah, that is it's really, it's really an interesting, if we could, if we can kind of separate the two, because I, there's a, there is a need for, for both, right? Like if, if mm-hmm. you've, if you've create, fractured your, your tibia, you, you want that to be set and you want, want that to heal up appropriately. And, and you want that done acutely and you want that to happen in a, in a really swift way. But if you want to actually heal your, your being, there's there's not going to be a magic pill for that. And and no matter how many pills we take, we're never going to be able to heal our being. We're never going to create a holistic wellness um by taking those those isolated approaches. And that's really I think probably the biggest difference between western and eastern uh, practices is western is very much we're going to individualize a specific problem and we're going to try to treat that problem without really taking a look at the total system. Um, and Eastern is all about, we need to completely heal the system in order to fix this little, this little problem that might be over in the corner here. That is, it's really, it's really interesting to kind of, from, from my perspective to, to start seeing more and more the necessity for total system, uh, addressing addressing systems systemically because we are a system right if if our calf doesn't feel right it's not because of our calf it's because either we're walking incorrectly there there might be something going on with the opposite quad it's it we we are 100% a system how did you the enlightenment was it a moment was it was it over the course of time how did you make this cross well i didn't realize it consciously I realized it more of like this moment of where I just booked this one way trip and I was, I was supposed to come back and do research to reapply to dermatology residency because that's what I was really set on. But I noticed during my medical training that I was like, this isn't going to heal them. Or like when we would give a prescription intuitively, I was like, no, this isn't right. Like this is not what we're supposed to do. So I didn't realize that I was like tapping into other abilities that I have as an intuitive yeah. and as a reader. Like being able to look at someone and see things in their body, but I didn't know that no one else, I thought everyone had that. You know, when you have something, you think, oh, this is normal. Everyone has that. So that's kind of how it happened for me. And then when I actually was able to take time away and travel, I was like, wait a minute, life is really about being happy and just giving prescriptions to people is not necessarily going to make them happy. And then even in the, the space of dermatology, it was like, People are coming oftentimes for insecurities when it's like, what about like creating greater self-confidence? And so it was something that's been in my DNA line, like since I was born, like, you know, people would always come to me and tell me their problems. And so like being on the track to a healer, Mm -hmm. you know, was what my path was. But when you grow up in New York City, being a doctor is like the only thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can be a doctor, you can be a nurse, but there's really not much else. Yeah. And it wasn't until I started traveling and seeing other cultures 
that I was like, wait a minute, there's a whole world out here. But it really wasn't until I said, you know what, I'm going to go down like the yoga path. And where I kind of really made that choice of like, I'm not going to go and be board certified in a specialty. That's when a whole world opened up. And then it was like, going to different healers and readers and being like, you know that you're a healer and like, and then asking family and then my grandmother being like, oh, yeah, like my sisters do that kind of stuff, like more like ritual work, but I don't believe in that. And seeing that it's in our family line and then saying and her being like, oh, yeah, like my grandmother walked out of the jungle and she was a healer. And then my mother was a healer and a midwife. And there were these plants around the house and white ribbons and then sharing some more of like the medicine of the jungle, you know, because in Colombia, like that's what they healed with. Yeah. So it was this gradual like unfoldment, but something that was always there that like the veils and the illusion and the layers and the conditioning and the education really had to be swept away through my journey. Yeah. So it's like letting go of everything I thought I was and what society told me I was supposed to be to then discovering who I really was. And even still, it's a journey. Like I'm still discovering more parts of myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like a constant, constant. Yeah, the journey doesn't end until it ends. Yeah. <laughs> or this journey doesn't end until it ends. The and does it ever really end? Right. 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 <laughs> like we have dying is another chapter. Right. Right. It's not like the end. It's this, the end of this chapter of the journey. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when. When you, when you kind of, when you, when you, you said you went on an adventure, I think was the word you used. Um, and creating these, like, creating these opportunities for adventure, I, I know is something that, that you really have found to be immensely important for your personal growth. Let me just ask, let me just ask pl- plainly, how, why? Why is adventuring so important for you? For me, I think it's more about experience. So, I believe that our soul has incarnated to have as many experiences as possible. So if we are in schedule and programs and like, this is my schedule from nine to five, and this is what I do every single day, there's no room really for discovery. There's no room to have new experiences that might shift your perception and consciousness. You will only know that which you are experienced until you experience something else and say, oh, there's this whole reality too. And there's that one and this one and that one. And so for me, it was like this, it was like a necessity. I couldn't help it. And I'm very much like spontaneous and adventurous and like say yes, pretty much all the time, unless it's like a clear no. But if it's a something that's a new experience and I'm feeling curious in my system or excited, then I'm like, okay, I'm going to do that. And so oftentimes when people are feeling unhappy in their life, one of the prescriptions that I share is go on a soul journey, like go away from everything you think, you know, and just go to a different country, go to a different culture, or just go in the middle of the woods, but take time away for a different perspective and have a different experience that can spark insight or awakening. I think that's a, that's, it's really interesting just the idea of shifting the perspective, because I, I do, we are really well programmed to create patterns and recognize patterns. So it's easy to fall into those patterns and then just allow them to become what we do and, and by that, then embody the fact that that is what we are, even though we are not 
our, will never be our experiences, will never be our accumulations. But I think it's easy for us to mentally take that constraint and put it on us. And it's like, no, I don't do that. This is the thing I do. I go from A to B, then B to C and C to D. So I also think, and you, you tell me if you, if you've experienced this, agree with this. I also think just the, the sheer amount of information that we're exposed to or have access to on a daily basis is tricking a lot of us, me specifically included, into thinking that we're learning when all we're doing is accumulating information. And those to me have become really two separate things. I think that there's a necessity to step away from the bombardment of information so that we can process things that we've taken in. Because if we're not processing what we've taken in, we're not really growing or learning. We're just accumulating BS, just like we accumulate stuff in our houses and then we end up with a bunch of stuff that we really don't want, but we're scared to throw away. We end up with a bunch of stuff in our brain that we're, we really don't need, but we're scared to go through and kind of declutter. Is it an, is that a, is that a relatable experience for you? Well, what comes up as you're sharing it is one thing is knowledge and one thing is wisdom and having experience is what gives you wisdom. Yeah. And so that's the piece. That when you say like, yes, of course, there's so much knowledge, you can sit and read the internet all day long. But if you're not out there in the world living your life, yeah, then it's just a bunch of words. Yeah, that wisdom thing is really important. I think it, it goes back to this, this challenge that we have in society where uh, we feel like we have more knowledge than our elders right now. Because we, we utilize the tools, like this age group, your, your age group, my age group specifically, we're kind of in this weird place where all of a sudden we were right at the cusp of this world changing technology. So, so people that missed that wave don't really have the same connection to the technology that we have. So we feel like we, we know all the answers where if we look back at, at, at historical human societies, elders were Google. But now we've replaced this need for this elder community with this computer algorithm. And I think you're right in the fact that we can't actually replace, a computer is not going to replace wisdom because it can't have experiences. So we can connect back to that idea of experience and that that is really impactful. I'm, I'm really appreciating you putting that in my brain because it's shifting my paradigm in a really, in a really fun way. So thank you. Awesome. Awesome. I'm happy to hear that. Yeah. It's like, even if we go back to Western medicine, if I could tell you step-by-step step how to do a surgery, but it's not until I do the surgery that I really have the wisdom and can tell you because not everything is textbook. Yeah. Like, Life happens and yeah. there's pieces, case by case, really. You know, yeah. you have this general format for things, but really life is a case by case basis. Yeah, and you just imagine how how much variance there is in the human body, right? You you could have practiced, you, even if you practiced on cadavers and they were all like a general medium human build and then all of a sudden you have some like super athlete. Now there's a different element because we're cutting through like really big muscle fiber. Like there can be really, really huge variances that you can only gain through experience. And I think that wisdom piece is... Wisdom and experience are are really valuable, really valuable. That yeah. that's fun. Yeah, and that's a metaphor for everything, like relationships. Like you can read about love all you want, but until you're in it, like 
Yeah. That's really what can give you the answers and the wisdom to yeah. speak about love and to understand it. Very, very, very true. Let me let me flip a little bit and see if we can if we can connect to to people in a more in a more broad scale and just offer your advice. So, is there anything you see culturally or individually repetitively? that are lifestyle choices that are the most detrimental to, to human health and happiness right now? Modern day city living. So anytime we disconnect from nature, yeah. which provides us with another source of energy, just like the sun does, so does the earth. And this is why in Japan, suicide rates are really high, especially in cities that are completely concrete. You know, at least New York City has parks and mm. there's still some more nature, but in some Asian cities, there's like no nature, zero, that their suicide rate is really high, mental health suffers, people, there's something actually called forest bathing, where they take the, the metros out to nature in the weekend and just sit in the forest, because yeah. they know the detrimental effects of not being connected to nature. Yeah, yeah, and, and even on like a, on a microbiome level, just connecting to the, the biome of the forest is a really nice thing for your skin. It's like we, we live in these, these sanitary worlds that we've tried to make even more sanitary. And um, yeah, that, that is one of my favorite things to do is just go play in the dirt for a while. And mm -hmm. yeah, and even I see people who live in suburbia, which there's still more nature than the city. But if you're not taking the time to actually connect with the earth and go into nature and enjoy yourself with all the different ecosystems that are there, even on a spiritual subtle level, yeah. like the unseen level, you're missing the point of yeah. this like healing time. Yeah. So you can have a, a gorgeous view outside of your home. But if you're not taking a moment to connect to the trees and like put your bare feet on the earth, it's like you're still not getting it. This is know? probably the first time in in the world's history that there will be humans who could never put their feet in the dirt. Right? You could live a city life and never actually connect your feet down into the earth ever in your life. And that's terrifying. <laughs> it's really yeah. terrifying. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's showing when you look at mental health rates and like all the statistics of saying depression and anxiety, et cetera, et cetera, and the skyrocket in prescription medication for mental health disease. You know, it's yeah. this was not in the past. You know, this is something that's of this age and time. Very, very much of this age. How kind of right on that? How do we how do we how do we love ourselves more? So that's the same thing is like when I think of my self-love practices, one of them is going to nature. Mm -hmm. Like I literally leave my cell phone at home. Sometimes I have friends who take theirs and they'll take a picture that I can put on Instagram. <laughs> but if I'm taking my phone, it's like on airplane mode and it's just so I can take a picture. Yeah. So then I can like share that with others to inspire them to perhaps go to nature. So for me, like I always feel so rejuvenated when I go to nature. So I feel like acts of self-love are the things you do that make yourself feel nourished and supported, relaxed, and that make you feel love. Like I have experiences where I see a sunset and I cry because it's so beautiful. Mm -hmm. Like to that level of feeling connection. Yeah. That, that freedom of emotion that we kind of, again, societally have decided that we need to, to buffer against. Um, 
it really, it really does connect you to your heart. Like you can feel when, when you allow emotion to exist, you really can feel that in the heart. And if, if you then settle into that, you can feel that spread through you. And that's, I just sitting down and watching a sunset is a perfect way, taking a moment or two to breathe. And yeah, I, I like, I like the idea of connecting more to nature because it's relatively, it's nearly free. Let's call it nearly free. There, there may be some travel costs for, for some of us, but what it's something that all of us can do. And we all have the time for it because if you're listening to this podcast, you have some time. If you're, if you're watching TV, you have time. Like there's, there's just so many things that we can, we can cut out that we won't miss. Um, and connecting to nature is a great way to heal yourself. Mm-hmm. And you would say you would say that's your number one heal yourself tool. Yeah, I mean, and then I'm also it, it for me, it really is. If I like know that I need to like unplug, I go to nature. Yeah. So for me, it's always been one of the big things. Um, I'm also like a water sign. And so for me, also water is a big deal. So like I like to take long baths like yeah. salt baths it's beautiful essential oils it smell really good and being in that warmth it's like being in a cocoon so for me that's really nourishing but that might not be nourishing for someone else yeah uh, or sometimes i also because i'm guiding and working with a lot of people like hundreds in a week sometime then i sometimes need one day that i'm completely by myself and on that day too like nature can help or just literally laying in bed but even that if I have inspiration I allow it to come through and I'll like write or post or whatever but if I have one day that I like to be in my pajamas all day long like for me that's also like an act of self-care especially when I'm on all the time yeah so when you're facilitating and guiding and working with people it's like really being extra present because you're not only present to yourself but you're you're watching like you know I'm watching emotions or flickers in people's faces to really track what's going on to then be able to share the the wisdom that comes through for them. So, so yeah, sometimes just like being in my pajamas all day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a really, it's a really nice thing. I think, I think it, it, what you said there really goes to kind of um, an idea that can get contorted oddly and that self care can be thought of as selfish, but self-care yeah. is really about filling your cup so that you can give back. And I think it's the, I think there's a huge component of human healing in the giving back. So if, if you, if you're, if you're being selfish with your self-care, then all you need to do is utilize that energy that you've imbibed and share that with the world. And I think you're going to, you personally are going to see the benefit of your self care immensely and immediately. Totally. Like I can't even take off for more than a day because I already have so much that I want to share and do. Like yeah. sometimes I don't even, I probably have never really taken a full day off because I still probably do a post or whatever. Like if it happens, it's like, because I'm like away or out of the country, but there's some, it's really rare. If I'm like at home and yeah. there's a computer or a phone nearby, like you have to like hide it from me. <laughs> yeah. That's why like I have to purpose because I always have like all of this inspiration to share. Um, but it's true because I think that I take that time. It's even better. 
Like, yeah. And I have to. Sometimes it actually gets to the point that I'm like really tired and I feel depleted. Yeah. So that's why I need to be bro- proactive in my self-care or else I'll feel depleted. And then that's how you can get sick. Yeah. Yeah. We all really need to be proactive in our self-care in tune with our bodies enough to know when we've, when we've depleted the cup to the point where it needs to be filled again. And in those moments, it, it's a need and you need to stop and you need to say, okay, well, I have a bunch of stuff, but I can't do it right now because it's going to cause ramifications six months down the road. If I don't stop and take a break right now, this moment today. Mm-hmm. It's being able to use your no. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's super, like they, it's a pa- powerful right tool. Now, sorry, not available. Yeah. yeah. That's it. Just not being available. For, for sure. Last, last couple questions I have for you. And I, I, again, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to do this because this has been, this has been super fun. So thank you. When, yeah, my pleasure. When you, when you were 16, who did you see yourself growing into? Hmm. Well, I never really had an idol, but when I was 16, I was on that path of like going to a top you know, I made the wait list for Harvard and I knew I wanted to go to NYU. And so I was definitely like in academics. Mm-hmm. And I knew I was like on the track to being like a white collared worker, either, either like a doctor or a lawyer. And I just imagined that I would have like the normal things of like a nice house and a nice car and like a husband and kids and like, you know, typical like cookie cutter American life. Yeah. And I was even with someone like, you know, I had a boyfriend for nine years, like the same boyfriend I had when I was 16, I broke up with him when I was 21. And so we were on that life trajectory together of this like typical suburban couple. Yeah. And then I started changing, you know, (laughs) that I like laugh at. I'm like, really? (laughs) And you said that you didn't really have a, a mentor, an idol, an influencer, was there a particular idea that, that had a huge influence on you? Um, I think I definitely wanted to like use my skills to help people. And like I always excelled in school. So I just naturally felt I would be like doing a doctorate of sorts. Like okay. whether, like I said, it was a lawyer or a doctor and like using my knowledge and like my intellect as the thing that would like get me ahead in life and allow me to help others. Yeah. And where you are right now, you're you're impacting people on this this massive scale that you never really could have even thought of connecting with on on a individual practitioner level. Totally. And even now too, it's like sometimes I joke, I'm like, people better get in their privates while I'm still doing them because like I know there will come a time where I won't see people one on one anymore. Yeah. Like I still am, I work with people online and in person, but there will be a time where that will be phased out because we'll just be doing big group work and, or like writing and like using my energies to reach as many people as possible with that same amount of energy and time. And so, yeah, like I would have never, like I did think I was going to be working more one-on-one individual and I never thought like, it wasn't until I remember, I think I was in my I was in my third year of med school. It was like kind of, or even actually, no, it was my last year of med school. It's like, I don't, oh no, no, it was my intern year. That's when I started realizing like, oh wait, I don't think this is what I signed up for. Like this is what I wanted. And it was only then when I was like connecting to my spirituality and knowing about the importance of health and taking care of yourself 
as like a means for healthy, happy living, then that's when Oprah became an idol. And mm-hmm. I was like, she's reached a lot of people and has brought spirituality to the masses. Yeah. And so like, I never really had an idol until I was actually shifting gears away from Western medicine, realizing that I wanted to impact as many people as possible. And it was really because I had learned certain things that changed how I saw life. And I wanted to share that. Yeah. How fun is that? Yeah. <laughs> like even now it's like millions of people, like millions, like, you know, like, like yeah. <laughs> for some people might say thousands. I'm like, no, not thousands, millions, <laughs> like as many people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you can make, if you can make just a, a 1% shift in a million people, you can dramatically impact the way that the world works. Exactly. That's, that's a, what is the, what is the closest thing to real magic? Well, I believe in real magic. <laughs> so it's magic. <laughs> it's magic. It's real magic, actually. <laughs> I love it. Give me so okay. Let's let's talk. What is what is real magic to you? Well, there's like you can like Google magic and like thoughts of magic, right? It's like as above, so below. Thoughts yeah. create, right? Yeah. It's like we're using magic when we're creating goals and action steps. But I feel like I take magic a step further and I use rituals in the sense of the elements and yeah. fire and connecting with all the elements that create our reality, including seen and unseen. Mm. So I think that's kind of where the difference between me and a regular life coach is I, I also imbue rituals into the work that I do. So using meditative practices, as well as like literally like lighting a candle, like these kind of ritual elements that yeah. and like even giving offerings, like all these things that were done. Like when you think of magic and like we think of like, oh, there's the fire and then they're putting all these things into the fire. These are offerings to like divine forces. Mm-hmm. Like that's what magic is. And so like in the online courses I create, et cetera, I have different steps along the way. My most recent one that's going to be happening in January it's called Elevate, and that's both ritual practices as well as goals, as well as um, meditative and energetic practices. So it's learning how to use the will of your mind to create whatever you want, and then using certain practices to get you really aligned because every thought is manifesting something. So you want to stay as focused as you can, and that's what makes a great magician is because they can direct their will and attention to whatever they want to create. Right. Mm. The the action of directing your intention is truly magic. Mm-hmm. It really, I think we've we've all lost as a society. We've all lost faith in how impactful and powerful the simple act of directing intention is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, and that's part of what you were referring to is like all this information mm-hmm. is distracting. Yeah. Like people are distracted. Think of like how many hours people are spending on their phones looking at things versus like creating their lives. Like I use, I really use Instagram as a one way tool. I'm not on there like scrolling around. Like I'm putting energy out into that medium. And you know, if there are time, like there have, of course, like I'm human. I've been like, what am I doing? Why, what am I doing looking at this thing? Like, you know, you kind of get caught up in like searching and looking. And then you realize like that was just like a waste of energy yeah. that distracted me away from like all the things that I'm doing and creating. Yeah. Yeah. Have you taken any 
Is it natural or have you taken any conscious steps to prevent the influx of information in your life? Well, I think when you have a to-do list that can go on forever, I think it ends up creating like a natural, um, like it's really hard to, <laughs> to like not be doing your the things you have to do. Because if you're doing what you love and you're passionate about it and it's helping others, like that force alone keeps you on track. Yeah. Like there's times where I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to go. I have to do a newsletter. Like, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I'm so dedicated that it like comes first. And I never knew that I would get to this point. But I remember a time where there was this blogger in New York City and he kind of referred, like I was going out a lot in New York City at the time. It was just when I was shifting over. And he kind of said something like, there's going to be a time when like you don't go out anymore and you're just like doing your purpose and like writing your blogs or doing your things. And I looked at him and I thought like, that's crazy. I can't ever imagine the day where like I won't want to be socializing Mm. over doing my purpose and mission. Like I can do both. Yeah. And now I'm like, oh, I'm not going to that thing. (laughs) (laughs) You know? For sure. So it's like when you find that thing that like nothing can take you away from, like then you know you found your dharma. Yeah. Yeah. Last two questions. Is if you could know the absolute truth to any single question, what would it be? Um, oh my God, I don't even know. Okay, I, I guess I'll share about this because I feel like it's something I'm actively quantifying. I'm, I'm writing a book that's about love and, and how we find the matches and the people that are like for us. Yeah. So I guess what comes in as like sometimes I'm, I'm really curious about finding this formula of how to find the best partner. Because I think of partnership as like a spiritual path. And when you reach a level that you know that you can, like, I know that I can love anyone and anything, but what's the thing that's going to make me choose a person? And it's really this intuitive feeling that you just need to know in the moment, but like quantifying it. So maybe if there was a way to say like these, this is the best way to choose a partner. These are the ingredients that you need for, you know, if you want to go on a spiritual path with someone. And so it's something I study. I study Tantra. I study these kinds of things. So for me, that's like what I'm most curious about in this moment of time. So <laughs> that would be that would be a very interesting thing to have the answer to. That that might be the best answer to that question ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, last question: Do you have any questions at all for me? Um, the answer can be no. Yeah, no, more of like just a comment of like, it's wonderful that you're doing this and you're allowing consciousness to be shared through this medium of a podcast. And so just applauding you and thanking you for being of service to humankind through sharing these inspiring messages with the world. So thank you. Thank you so much for being a part of this. This was a super fun conversation. I really have appreciated you, you giving this much time. It's been amazing. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you.